Today I want to jump off of there and start in Ephesians chapter 1 and read from a verse 11, and we're going to finish the chapter today. We're going to get through the chapter today. But it says there in verse 11, in him, who's him? Jesus, Christ, right? You could put in there, in Jesus or in Christ. Also we have received an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we who were the first to hope in Christ should live for the praise of his glory. Now we talked about this in the introductory message that God has that all that God has done for us through Christ was planned. It was predestined. It was predetermined from the beginning. That is good to know. Nothing took God by surprise. The fall of mankind didn't take God by surprise. When Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't like God was up in heaven and say, Oh no, what do I do now? No, he had it all set in place, as the Bible says, before the foundations of the world. And we have to remember that everything was predestined in accordance to the purpose and counsel of God's will. As we saw in verse 11, it says, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. We also talked a little bit about God's sovereignty last week. God is sovereign, amen? But how many know God cannot lie? Okay? God cannot lie. Neither can or will God operate outside of his character and who he is. Amen? That's good to know. That's good to know because we live in a day and an age and we live with rulers and people who operate by basically the whim of what they're feeling like today. And, and, they, and they can change on, a, on an everyday basis, but God does not change. One of the verses that we talked about on our Thursday night Bible study when we were looking at the doctrine of God is Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4. It says there that he is the rock. Do you know that when it's saying that he is the rock, that's actually a name of God. The rock is the na name of God. We're not talking about the Hollywood actor, all right? Uh, okay. The, the rock is actually the name of God, and what it means is that he is unchanging. Okay? He is unchanging. He is immutable is, a, is kind of one of the words that's put out there in theology. He is unchanging. His work, it says there in that verse, his work is perfect, meaning that his work is complete, it's entire, and it talks about the integrity of his work. All his ways are just. He is a God of truth. This is not just simply saying that he declares truth, but he is a God of faithfulness in fulfilling the promises that he's made, and that he is without injustice. Everything that he does is just. And upright and up a righteous and upright is he. So when you read that verse out of Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, you can look at that verse and realize 
This is how God will function. This is one of the verses that speaks to us how God will function. And God often reveals these qualities to us in his names. And the Bible says here, in, or the Bible says in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10, those who know your name will trust in you. Okay? And it goes on to say, for you have not forsaken them that seek you. But those that know your name will trust in you. To know God's name is not just simply to know it as in head knowledge, but it's to understand and to experience the name of God. Okay? So you could, you could say in a sense, when you're looking at all of these things, you could say in a sense, and I'll give you an example of this, that salvation is a product of who God is. Just think about this. Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Okay, we, we say Jesus. It's easier for us. All right? But the name is actually Yeshua, or you could even go into the word Joshua, which is the English translation of it. What does that name mean? What does the name Jesus mean? To save. Or the Lord who saves. The Lord is salvation. The Lord who helps. Savior. Those are the names. Or those are the meanings behind the name. And let me tell you something. It's not that just, you know, it's insignificant. This is who God is. So you could say, well, he is also the rock. He's unchanging. He is a God of truth. He is faithful in fulfilling his promises. So he is a God who saves. He is the Lord who saves. And he is unchanging. And he's faithful in fulfilling the promise of who he is. Isn't that wonderful news? Because today we live in a time, and how many have been disappointed by things? by people, by governments. We're coming into an election time. How many know that there's going to be lots of promises thrown around? If you vote for me, I'm not running, don't worry. But I'm saying, if you vote for me, I'm going to give you all a million dollars. I'm just kidding. Right? But I mean, that's what they do. They throw, they throw promises around, and then they get elected, and what happens? Oh, sorry. We don't have the money to do that. They have names to their political parties, or they have names to their, to their groups, and they're supposed to mean what they stand for or what they do. And yet sometimes you look at the names, and it's like, I don't get how you can say that you're this, and yet you function this way. God is not that way. He says, I am the Savior. Guess what that means? He saves. Think about that in, the other, in other words. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. What does that mean? He's healer. He is the healer. Or Jehovah Shammah. He is here. He is present. Or El Shaddai. 
He's the all-sufficient one, the strong, mighty, powerful, and supreme God. When we say these words, when we describe these words, we, he, we are saying or he is telling us who he is and how he operates. And when we get back to what we're talking about here in Ephesians, he is telling us his purposes and he is giving to us his will. And when we get into this, the purpose and will of God revealed in scriptures, as I said, is he does not want any to perish, but he desires all to come to repentance. And that those who respond in faith come into a place of receiving the inheritance that God determined we would receive, which is what God does in us and will give him glory. We'll see more in Chapter 2, verse 10. I, I kind of get to that a little bit because we always are, you know, a lot of the lot of people in the church or a lot of Christians sometimes get wrapped up or get idea, well, who's saved, who's not saved? I'm, I, my focus is that God is a Savior. And that his plan of salvation was from the beginning. That God is faithful. That God is good. He is our healer. He is our victory. And we can be confident in him in Christ because all that he does is because of who he is and he will not change. It throws a lot of arguments out the window when people say, well, you've got to figure out God's will if he wants to heal you or not. No, the Bible tells us what the will is. Or you've got to figure out if God wants to provide you for or not. No, the Bible tells us he's my provider. I don't have to go into Scripture, and I don't have to, or I don't have to go into an intercessory prayer time to figure out whether God wants to heal me. I don't need to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. To figure that out, all I have to look and see is he's Jehovah Rapha. The moment I see that, I know what his will is. And he does not change. All right, verse 13. Verse 13. says there, In him you also... Or in Christ you also have, after hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and after believing him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now it's interesting, through verse 13, we see that he gives us the conditions for this to be accomplished in our lives or the lives of all people. First of all, the first one is hearing the word of truth, or hear the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, okay? Hearing the word of God. We talked last week that God made known his mystery to us. He made known what his will was. Why did he do that? Because he had to reveal to us what his word was, what his will was, so that faith could be uh, 
built up within us to receive that which God has for us. God, by revealing his will, God, by revealing his word, for the, it does it for the purpose of, being, of faith being produced to receive. Isn't that incredible? So we have to, first of all, hear the word. Okay, faith comes by hearing. Paul says there, after hearing the word of truth, Hearing what? The gospel of salvation, the good news of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Which is the third thing, which is what I want to talk about after believing. Notice Romans says we must believe. And here we see again, faith is the condition of receiving the plan of God. Faith is the condition. It's not by what we do. Praise God. It's not by who we are. Praise God. It's not by any external factors of our life. Not because of any sort of race, not any sort of position, not any sort of placement in this world. Simply by faith. The only requirement is faith. And we will see more of that in chapter 2. When we get into chapter 2, especially next week. That's wonderful news because it puts everybody on equal ground before the Lord. You know, I don't have the money like Bill Gates or Elon Musk or some of these other people have. So if it was about money, I'd be in trouble. I don't have the status that some people have or the position that some people have in the world today. So if it was about that, I'd be in trouble. But God says all you have to do is believe, receive in faith. And here's the interesting thing, that as we hear the word, as we hear the gospel of salvation, as we come into a place of believing and faith in it, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? When you are born again, something supernatural happens in your life where God will, yes, forgive you of your sins, where you are redeemed and bought back to God, where you are cleansed, where you are set free, but there's also a supernatural interaction that takes place where the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And you become united with the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit unites with you, and you are made into, as the Bible says, a new creation. It is, it is a mystery. It is a mystery to think that God himself can come in and reside in us through his spirit. But it is a wonderful mystery to understand that you have the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life the moment that you get saved. You know, it says that we're sealed. What does the seal mean? Well, 
you know, in our world today, we, we have seals in different things. We have seals like medicine bottles or letters or even sometimes money, you know, checks and so forth. They have certain seals on them. And it gives, first of all, it gives an assurance that the product is genuine. You also know that the product, you know that the product is real. You know that the product hasn't been tampered with, that it's not a forgery. You also know that there, there's an authority behind that product. Whatever it might be, there's an authority behind the medication. There's an authority behind the letter. There's an authority behind the check that is the guarantee of whatever product that you are using. And, and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians acts as a seal which indicates that we are authentic, genuine children of God and that He owns us. Praise the Lord. Notice something, though. The seal does not come before we believe. We have to come into a place of believing. We have to come into a place of faith. Also notice that we are sealed. It's a completed transaction. We are bought. So today, Christians who have the Holy Spirit, or we have the Holy Spirit as a seal indicating who we belong to. And by the way, it's also an assurance that we can know that when Jesus comes again, we will fully receive the benefit of redemption and we will be fully in God's possession. How many are looking forward to that day? Yeah. Some days you could kind of, you know, you get a little older. And you look at things and it's kind of like, you know, God, you know, if you came today, I wouldn't be too upset. <laughs> it would be great, yeah. If you came today, Lord, I, I, I don't think I'd argue it right now. You know. We have, a, we have the promise that, because of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have that promise saying that one day we're going to experience the full redemption not that we haven't experienced it here but we're going to realize the full redemption it's going to be manifest when we're going to be in god's eternal presence praise the lord let's go on to verse 15 of 23 where we talk we see the exalted position of christ where paul prays Paul even prays. He says, Therefore I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers. So Paul's speaking to the Ephesian church here, okay? And he's saying, I have heard of your faith. I've heard of your love toward all the saints. I've heard and I do not cease to give thanks, and I mention you in my prayers. It's interesting, Paul rejoices and expresses thanks to God for those in the, the Ephesian church that have walked or are walking in a place of faith. Listen, we should always rejoice 
in someone coming to faith or being in faith. All right, we should always rejoice in that. It's also interesting that Paul also mentions that he is constantly praying for them. And this is, this is not just something that he only does or mentions to the Ephesian church. He, he does this in, in most of his letters. You could go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 9. You could go to Philippians chapter 1, 3 and 4. You could go to, you could go to I, I th- you know, 1 Timothy 1 verse 3. You could go to all of them, Colossians, you could, Galatians. And you can see that Paul mentions something similar to most of the churches that he speaks to. And, you know, let me just encourage us in this. It should encourage us in this way, that we should be praying for one another. As Christians, we should be praying for one another. Sometimes we go through difficult times. Amen? And, you know, having brothers and sisters in Christ praying for us and lifting us up is good. Praying for others, praying for other people brings God's blessings of strength and encouragement upon them. You don't know how God will use what you're praying to help that person. It's interesting also that he's talking about praying for those that he knows. We should pray for those we know and whom we have a personal interest in. Let me me say it this way. Sometimes we pray for the missionaries on the other side of the world, and we don't even know of them. Okay, and not, that's not saying that we shouldn't pray for the missionaries or people that we that is there. But what about praying for our spouse? What about praying for our friend? What about praying for the people that are in our church? Okay. Pray for the ones that we have a personal interaction and connection with. It's also interesting that he tells them that he's praying for them, which tells me that there is a benefit in telling them that we are praying for them. That if we are praying for someone, it is beneficial. We don't have to do it all the time. It's not like you have to do it every time that you see somebody. But it's good once in a while. If, you, if, some, if God laid someone really on your heart in this past week, let's just say, God laid someone on your heart and you felt, I really need to pray for this person, you prayed for that person, it might be the time just to say on Sunday or the next time you see him, you know, God laid you on my heart. I, I just want you to know I was praying for you. You don't have to ask them what it was all about. Just let them know. Show them that the care, the love, the encouragement that comes with that. Notice also that he praised the Ephesian church for loving all the saints, not just some of the saints. <laughs> How many know some saints are difficult? How many know some pastors are difficult? Okay, you can laugh at that one too, you know. They mention, he mentions that they loved all the saints. One of the main points of this letter we will see is that all Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, should be one in Christ, and we should love all Christians. We should love all brethren, regardless of any sort of physical, natural status or ideas like you know race, nationality, social status, wealth, whatever it is. We should love everyone.
So Paul mentions this, and then he goes on in verse 17 saying this, and this is one of the things that he's praying about, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. It's interesting, Paul talks about praying, and then he says, this is what I've prayed for you. I've prayed that God would give you the spirit of wisdom. I've prayed that God would give you the spirit of revelation. I've prayed that you might receive these things, that you might know the hope of your calling and the riches of your inheritance. And by the way, I believe the, 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 the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him come by the way of the Holy Spirit. Which, which is interesting because I'll say this. We need to read and study the Bible. Amen. God reveals himself through his word. But let me also say, but we also need the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and wisdom as the teacher of God's Word. You can't have one without the other. So the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him for the purpose that your eyes, or we could relate it to us, so that the, the purpose that our eyes of our understanding may be enlightened, that we can know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. Now, why, do I why am I emphasizing, in a sense, the Holy Spirit? Because of some verses that, the, 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 that Jesus and even Paul spoke. Jesus said, but when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So I believe the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation is the Holy Spirit. Okay, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10 says this, But as it is written, eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. Or verse 12 of that passage which says now we have not received the spirit of the world but the spirit which is of God so that we might know the things that are freely given to us by God you see God through his spirit will reveal to us and make known to us the hope that we have in Christ and we have a hope you have a hope this morning he will also make known the riches that he's given to us. God wants us to understand. Isn't that incredible? God wants us to understand what we have in Christ Jesus. God wants us to understand the hope that we have. God wants to reveal himself. God wants to reveal his plan. God wants to reveal his purposes to us. So God provides us his spirit to help us understand and experience him and all that he has for us. Let's apply this for a moment. Paul prayed this. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church and said, I want this to I want the Ephesian church to 
to experience this. Well, we can pray for it for one another, but I, I would also say that we can pray for this for our, in our own lives. We can pray for this in our own lives. You know, we, we, can, we can pray and take this passage of Scripture and say, Father, I'm coming to you today. Give me the spirit of wisdom. Give me the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. Open my eyes. Give me eyes of understanding so that I can be enlightened, so that I can know the hope of your calling, so that I can know the riches of the glory of your inheritance among the saints. We can actually pray those words. We can just take that scripture and pray it for our life and say, Lord, this is what I want you to do within me. And I'll tell you something, God will not disappoint. And you don't have to worry about going off into some tangent or some deep end with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit never contradicts the Word of God. So when you get in your closet next time, when you go before God next time, do that. Ask the Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom. Give me the spirit of revelation. God, you said that your spirit, we've received your spirit, that we can know the things that you've freely given to us. Father, reveal those things to me. Father, you said that eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the hearts of men the things that have been prepared for us. But God, you have said in your word that you've revealed them to us by your spirit. So God, reveal them to me. God, you say that your spirit is the spirit of truth. So guide me into all truth today. Verse 19, it says there, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he performed in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. God's power raised Jesus from the dead and then sat him down at the right hand and exalted him above every ruler, every authority. Death couldn't hold Christ down. Amen? We're going to celebrate that in a couple of weeks. The grave couldn't hold Christ in. And let me tell you this morning, and no power, no ability, no spiritual force, no devil, no demon in any place or at any time can come against him. He is completely and totally victorious over them all. Notice he also says, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? And by the way, this power that worked in Christ that raised him from the dead is also at work in us. And Paul was praying for them to understand the greatness of God's power. Notice how the language repeatedly emphasizes the power of God and that he says the exceeding or the surpassing greatness of his power or the working of his mighty power. 
Listen, he is an almighty God and nothing can resist or stand against him. We talked about he is the he has the power to forgive sins, the power of the gospel, the power to overcome death. The power, that power, none of us have. We can't overcome death, but God has overcome death. The power to defeat Satan. The power to give us eternal life. The power to heal. The power to deliver and walk in victory. The power to meet our needs. And we can be confident in this power because it is the power that raised Christ from the dead. The Bible says in Romans 8, But if the Spirit of him raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Some people want to just spiritualize this and make it all about the Spirit. Listen, if the power of God rests in you, in your physical body, if you are a home to the Holy Spirit, you are the dwelling place of God, and the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. It will impact not only your spirit, it will impact not only your soul, but it will impact your physical body. That's good to know. Listen, some of us deal with sickness and disease, disease in our body. Some of the things we should be saying, some of the things that we should be declaring, some of the things that we should be proclaiming. Thank you, Lord, that the same Spirit which raised Christ from the dead dead dwells in my body. Therefore, your Spirit which dwells in my body gives my body, my physical body, life and strength. says in verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in all ways. Let me say this this morning. The devil is not some arch nemesis of Christ. He is a defeated enemy who has no authority over Christ. Some people want to try to pit like it's like the devil against Jesus and you know, I've seen the picture. Have you ever seen the picture sometimes of the devil and Jesus arm wrestling? That is such a blasphemous picture. Portraying somehow like the devil is somehow close to being equal with God. Listen, it's like, you know, the best analogy that I can put it, it's like an ant and, a, and an elephant going at each other. All right? And that's not even, that's not even a fair analogy because it is so infinitely different the devil has nothing on Christ here we see the church introduced as well one of the major themes of the epistle 
is, is the church, the church or the bride of Christ, but also the body of Christ. Jesus, it says here, is the head of the church. Specifically, it says Jesus is head over all things to the church. So if he's the head over all things to the church, we understand that the head gives guidance to the body, and the body has to submit to the directions of the head. Listen, anybody that does not submit to the head is in serious trouble, right? I mean, if we, if we did that in the medical terms today, we would call that a sick, dysfunctional body, all right? It's the same thing in the spiritual sense in the church. Jesus Christ is our head. So we see that Christ is the authority and he's the ruler of the church. And by the way, there is just one body and there's just one head. Can't be part of another body. And by that I mean you can't be a part of another faith, quote unquote faith, religion. And be part of the church. Only one church. There's only one way to God. There's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Also, we can understand here one body cannot submit to two separate heads. So, if you want to take this and apply this to our, our lives today, in a sense, the church has no right to follow any human or man made decrees or ideas or thoughts that differ from what our head says. What we see also here is this. Finally, the church is the, called the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ, yes, is our fullness. In him we have, have everything. But, in, but you would say, what is the sense, or in what sense is the church the fullness of Christ? Well, the church lives out reveals and carries out or fulfills God's plan. Listen, God could have chosen to do whatever he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. God could choose and say, you know what, I'm going to send all my angels into the world. God could have set up the plan. I'm going to send all my angels into the world to be the evangelists. I'm going to send all my angels into the world to work the work of my plans and purpose. But God didn't do that. He could have chosen any other way to accomplish his will, but he chose to work through the church as his body. Which, by the way, is a tremendous privilege. So sometimes we'll say, God, go save this person. God, send an angel to this person. Do you know in some sense that that's not really biblical? In some contexts, I get it. But in some sense, that's not really biblical. What did, what did Jesus say in Matthew 9, verse 38? Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, what? That he would send forth laborers. Who are his laborers? God's plan is fulfilled in Christ. And the continuation of this plan is fulfilled through the church. 
Many today want to be Christians outside the church. And I'm not saying that not going to church doesn't mean you're not saved. But listen, many Christians want to be outside the church, not understanding or appreciating the need for the local church or being actively involved or actively part of a local church and realizing the church is God's plan. So I'll say this in closing. Yes, the world, the world needs Christians to be Christians, but I would say a more accurate statement is that the world needs the church.